0: Good morning, Grace Church. It's great to see everybody's name pop up there on the feed. Uh, my name is John Ray. I'm going to be teaching this morning. I'm the head of the teaching team here at Grace Church. We're really glad you're joining with us from wherever you are. So um, growing up in Austin, my dad had this restaurant down the street from where I grew up. And for a while there, it became kind of the popular spot, the hot spot with all the the politicians and the movers and shakers in Austin at that time—it was a heady place. It was a heady time, and I mean, we had governors and senators and legislators who would come in, and there'd be the occasional backroom deal uh, cut in our private dining room. And along with that, growing up in Austin, I mean, the Capitol was right there. We'd take field trips every year and go down there, and there was lots of opportunities to volunteer with campaigns and things like that. And for a while, I thought. You know, I wonder if I'm going to dive in here. I wonder if I'm going to make a deeper foray into the political structure. It was uh, it was very attractive. It was um, intoxicating, in a way. And uh, as I was contemplating that one day, I, f- I really felt like God said. And I'll be careful when I say that. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just a real sense that as I was contemplating this, I got the impression that God was saying, "You know the." really the only way to truly change people is in their hearts. It's not through legislation. Well, I got to tell you, that really set me back. It was really unsettling. Um, It really revealed to me some things inside of me, the way that I saw the world. Now I want to be quickly say um, that God moves through structures as well as individual heart. It's never either or, but at that time, I was thinking, well, the way we make change is the way we make legislation. And the Holy Spirit was do- doing something different. And I think we'll see that in our text this week as we continue to ask Acts questions and let, ask, let Acts ask us questions as well when we do that. So pray with me. And then uh, the screen, the text will come up on the screen. And I want to invite you to read that out loud. If you're gathered with other people, take turns reading the verses, but really let the words sink in as you read this chapter out loud. God, thank you for gathering us here this morning in our homes and different places, gathering and connecting us. We long for the time when we can meet together, but we're also confident that you transcend our separated geography. And that you are connecting us and that we are one in your spirit. God, we are one this morning. So guide us, lead us, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to discern, and hearts to love and understand as we encounter your word, your Holy Spirit, together as a community gathered. In Jesus' name. So, wow, lots to take in, right? Um, This scripture is in particularly personal to Jane and I. We got to travel to Ephesus years ago doing work in Turkey and stand in that same amphitheater where they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, Wandering around Ephesus right now or what's left of it is now one of the world's largest museums. I think it may be the world's largest museum just because the whole city is a museum. They've only excavated about 10% of it, but it's fascinating to stand there in the amphitheater and uh and consider this passage it's also fascinating to stay there or to to be there because this is where paul spent the majority of any of his missionary journeys last week we saw him as he as he briefly went through ephesus on the way back to jerusalem then to antioch now he's returned here and he spends the better part of 2 years with this community teaching and it and it may be the most visibly successful part of Paul's uh, ministry, as we'll see here, and as we read, where the knowledge of Jesus and the way and the kingdom, the gospel was spreading throughout Asia from this place in Ephesus. This also gives us really significant insight into his letter to the Ephesians later, is that we see how his heart is so closely knit to them after spending this amount of time with them. But the reality is, two years, we don't know a lot. I mean, we have this one incident. We have the, the incident with the, the magicians who are trying to cast out the demons. But that's not a lot of information to cover 24 months, two years. Um, we do know that Paul wrote some letters while he was here um, that form other epistles. But a lot of people also think that this was a real time of refinement for Paul. That this was where being rooted in with a local community um, helped him really develop and deepen his ecclesiology, his idea of what the church was supposed to be about. It's also interesting here that Paul is not on center stage. The Holy Spirit is. It's easy for us to lose track of that, that Paul's not the hero of Acts, neither is Peter, and even not the early church, but the Holy Spirit is the hero of the story. And we see particularly here in this chapter how the Holy Spirit is unsettling some things, unsettling people's ignorance, unsettling people's uh, apathy, and uh, unsettling their addictions, calling them into Question. So, so let me tell you what I mean by that, as I see that, and I see this as particularly applicable to us today. Uh, if you look at verse eight, where Paul encounters, um, or sorry, back up um, with the uh, ignorance when they ask the questions right at the first of the chapter, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" That's an interesting question, and I want I want to just sit with that for a minute. Now, lots has been made about the signs and wonders that happen, and is the baptism in the Holy Spirit different than the water baptism that we have with that? But the essence of the question is as true for us as it was for these disciples of John that they encountered. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Grace Church, I believe we have. I believe each one of us, when we encounter Jesus, when we submit to Jesus' authority, When we take on the sign of water baptism and we join the church and we join in with the church, with our heart, with our soul, with our emotions, with our activities, with our actions, the Holy Spirit comes with that. So the answer is yes, you have received the Holy Spirit. Maybe a better question is, are you aware of it? What does it mean? What does it mean that you have the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit collectively as a church? but also individually as members of that church. Um, I believe that what it means is we have freedom. We have freedom to not live in ignorance. Look, we all have questions. Just this morning, I was talking with Jane about the questions that I have that are being um, really brought to light because of the quarantine, because of this current crisis. But what I know is I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit and we have the Holy Spirit, so I don't have to live in ignorance. I don't have to just grope blindly my way through life, but I have the Holy Spirit. Church, we have the Holy Spirit. Not only do we have does that lead us out of ignorance, it leads us out of our orphanhood. we're not we're not abandoned. The Holy Spirit gives us the assurance that we are in the family of God, that we are God's families, not just children, but co-heirs with Christ with that. It also gives us the idea that we don't have to live in isolation. Even though we may be physically distancing right now, quarantining off, we are not alone. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we can never be alone. We are united both with God, with our true self, and with others. And that unity transcends distance. So the Holy Spirit is unsettling our ignorance, is leading us into a truth. And why I use the word unsettling is because... Every time we learn something new or given a new revelation, we have to let go of the old stuff. And the old stuff is settled. The old stuff for a lot of us is, hey, I know where it is. I know how it works. But something new unsettles that with that. And so the Holy Spirit is unsettling their imagination here about what it means to receive God, what it means to be one with God, what it means to be adopted by God in communion with God. It's also unsettling their apathy. If we look down at at verse 8, Paul goes in and, and he uh, he begins to preach, right? Just like he's done. And, and we can see the pattern that he's followed. And it goes on, though, that this line really caught me. It says, this went on for two years. It's is verse 10. This went on for two years so that all who lived in the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, had heard the word of the Lord. Well, how did that happen? Because Paul's rooted himself in Ephesus. He's not traveling anymore. He's not going out to the different villages. He's, he's, he's made a home base here. So how did the whole province here? Did, did they take turns coming to this certain meeting hall where they were preaching? I don't think so. Even though Ephesus was a, a major commercial port, and surely people came and went. I think what this was, was people who encountered it were going and telling their friends. They were, they were the ones who were proclaiming the message. Paul proclaimed it in a place, but it was spread by the witness of those who heard it. And, and this is the message for us. Listen, only a certain amount of people are going to ever tune in to a Facebook live message on a Sunday morning. I don't care how popular it is. Only a certain amount of people are ever going to set foot in physical church when we come back together. The proclamation of the gospel of the good news comes from all of us as we go out about our day. As we are at work, and school, in the different places, and as we go to the beach, and the lake, and, and at the club, when those things reopen, and we can safely engage in those things, in the restaurants, and that's where our witness takes place. It goes out from there. It's not... The, the spreading of the word is not just delegated to preachers and evangelists. It's really all of our witness. Now, be careful here. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to put too much on anybody. But I do want us to consider what is the message we're spreading right now. Grace Church, each one of us, what is the message that we're proclaiming right now? This is the call of every follower of Jesus. And we live right now in a world of influencers, right? It's crazy. Like every person with a social media account becomes a newsroom with this. What is the message we're spreading? Now, don't hear me say that every tweet needs to be a Bible verse and every Insta story a sermon. But are we using our voice to give witness to the gospel, to the hope that's in us? In this time where people are hungering for news. They're hungering for good news. What are we sharing? Are we sharing the reality of what God is doing in our life? Or are we just conveying the latest message that someone else posted? So the Holy Spirit here is unsettling, I believe, the apathy of the people that want other people to spread the news. It's all our jobs. The last thing here is unsettling our addictions. Now, I, you look down at verse twenty-three, and we have this interesting encounter with Demetrius the silversmith. He's riling people up. He sees this as a threat to the the cult of Artemis that has grown up here in Ephesus, that makes Ephesus a pretty special place. People come a lot to to go to the temple to see see the show that is put on here. Now, why do I use addictions here? I mean. Because, in a way, Demetrius's evaluation is pretty honest. He's like, "Hey, if people don't worship artemis i I don't put food on my family's table. If people don't come to the temple, our economy collapses i mean, it was very in a way it was very logical Demetrius's response here but i i used I use the word addiction this because What we see here is a failure that they can't imagine another way of life. They have come to rely on something that is artificial, ugly, and degrading. If you look into the cult of Artemis, it's pretty vile with with what it intended and how it was practiced with this. And that's what addictions do, right? Is we substitute the truth for something that works, for something that's effective, for something that gets us by. No matter how vile, no matter how degrading, we justify it as being necessary. And then soon we can't imagine another way of living without it. We become addicted to it. Well, we clearly see the Holy Spirit upsetting their addictions here, right? People burning their books of magic, people walking away from the cult, uh, doing these things. Man, the Holy Spirit is working here, doing this. The Holy Spirit hasn't stopped doing that the holy spirit hasn't stopped unsettling our addicted imaginations our inability to refuse another our inability to imagine another way of living and enter into a way of living that is reflective of the gospel with that these things while unsettling are also life-giving They bring us closer to who we are meant to be, who we are made to be. They bring us closer to our true selves, to God and to each other. And so I pray in the midst of all this, that this unsettling of the Holy Spirit is continuing among us as Grace Church with that. I believe that it is. I see evidence of that. But it is something that we must constantly be aware of and even in some ways inviting. Now, at the same time, my sense is that there's a lot of weary people out there, weary of the changes, weary of the different way of doing things, weary of the ambiguity of the situation, of not knowing what's going to happen. Is it safe? Is it not safe? Will it work? Will it won't? Can I plan this? Can I not? We're weary of not being with friends. I'm weary of not meeting together physically as a church. I'm weary of Zoom. And Google Hangout, and I'm weary of all the conspiracy theories that are posted on the websites and social media. But God sees our weariness in this unsettled time. And I think he saw it there for the Ephesians. I think it may have been wearying them with all the unsettling that was going on. And that's why I think Paul writes later when he writes to the Ephesians He wrote this back to this community of people that he had spent so much time with. He said, I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with the power of the spirit in your inner person. That Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. So that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And thus know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding, so that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Grace Church, that's what I pray for us, is that in the midst of this great unsettling, we would be full with the knowledge of God with that. And know that that is the ultimate rootedness in the midst of all the unsettled that type of rootedness is not something that can be legislated by government. I know there's been a lot of questions out there of when are we going to regather? We'll be sending out a letter the first of next week that outlines our, uh, our plan on that. But just let me tell you, we don't, we don't take our cues from the government. The government is not who declares the church essential or non-essential. That's ludicrous with that. Uh, The church is no king, no government can do that except for King Jesus, who determined us as essential from the very start. And we've always been that. The church has never been closed. The church hasn't been closed during this. The church in some ways has been more active than it ever has. Uh, Just a little portion here to to call out to people like Teresa and Tasha and Stacy and and people who are reaching out and working with Seven Hills and different things. Different ministries responding to different needs. Uh, Terry's free little pantry, the way that that's been a blessing to our community. Um, we, Grace Church hasn't been closed, so the question of when we're going to reopen is moot. We never closed, we've never been non essential. Now, there are some details on how we're going to gather, where we're going to gather, how we're going to do that. Um, and we'll be addressing those this week, but in the meantime. Be rooted into God in this time of unsettling. Let the unsettling happen so that your roots go that much deeper. A big part of that rootedness comes when we join together at the table. Again, we haven't stopped taking communion because of this. We take it a little differently for a while, temporarily, but that's always changing. What was used and who took it has changed. This morning, from Wherever we are, we join together to remember and to be remembered. We talk a lot a lot about this at grace with communion. Is that this as we remember what was done for us, as we remember who has set the table for us, we are remembered, we are regathered, we are re-knit together in a way that is like an inhalation. We are brought together to be exhaled into the world, sent out as representatives as witness the calling on each of us to proclaim Christ and the good news of the gospel on that last night that Jesus was together with his disciples he knew they would need something physical tactile to remember that so he took the bread said this is my body broken for you and he took the cup and he said this is my blood poured out for you, for us, Grace Church. So we take these things, we eat and we drink in remembrance and encouragement of whose we are. We do this as worship as well. And as part of that continuing worship we give our offerings, it's easy because we're not being together um, not to see the need. But our needs haven't changed since we haven't been meeting together physically. We still have a tremendous amount of needs. And so many of you have given so sacrificially and so deeply. But I want to encourage you to continue to do that. And again, we give as an act of worship. We give as an act that none of us is without something to give. We all have something to give, no matter how large or small. We also do it as an act of worship, knowing that realizing that we all have need. None of us is complete unto ourselves. We all have needs. And so we share. Sharing is an act of worship. It's a way of pushing back against the demand of the world to buy and sell, to be transactional. No, we give freely and we receive freely as the church. And in particular, right now, we need that to happen through this time of being physically separate. When while our bills have not diminished hardly at all, we still need that giving. We also take this time to reflect, reflect on the message, reflect on the word, reflect on what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and then set our intentions to obey. It's not enough just to hear. We need to obey. So as Jeff leads us in this last worship song, consider your offering. Consider what you need to do in response to the word today. And consider the unsettling but rooting presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Grace and peace, everyone.